Guys, this is something we taught two years ago. Let me turn on my mic here. Uh, this is something we taught two years ago. And uh, the reason I thought it was time to revisit it is because uh, we've been talking about spiritual apathy and this kind of ties it all up. And so this would be the final uh, part of the series we've been doing. And then when I come back, we start on something so amazing and new. I shared it with a couple of people that it will blow your minds. Because um, uh, without any exaggeration, yeah. So um, we're going to talk about seeds. And uh, if you want to turn to Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Galatians chapter 6, 7, and 8. There's a lot of turning involved today of the Bible. So um, just make sure you don't drop your iPhone. Uh, Galatians. <laughs> That's odd, eh? That's how things are now. You turn your Bible so much that you might drop your iPhone. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. And here's what it says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from that spirit will reap eternal life. So that's our uh, basis for this teaching. So one of the things we need to understand is there are two destinations for seed. There are two destinations for seed. One is the flesh and the other is the spirit. So there are two destinations for seed. And it's best to recognize early in life, and may your children learn this soon, that all of us are carriers of seed. All of us are carriers of seed. And you are sowing unknowingly throughout the day from the moment you wake up, either to the spirit or to the flesh. Just imagine that, eh? The, day, the moment you wake up, you have started sowing. Because you're a carrier of seed. The moment you wake up, you're sowing. Sometimes we sow unknowingly, sometimes we sow knowingly. But the moment you wake up, you are either sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh. So what are we sowing? We are sowing seeds. So how can we sow seeds the moment we wake up? Some of the seeds we sow are our words. Some of them are actions. Some of them are attitudes. And some of them are thoughts. But the moment you wake up, this is how you begin. And you either sow words, actions, attitudes and thoughts into the flesh or you sow it into the spirit. And the thing is, if you sow into the flesh, it brings destruction or ruin. And if you sow into the spirit, it brings life and abundance. I mean, Proverbs 23 verse 7. Let's just look at that. Proverbs 23 verse 7. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, uh, For he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. I don't know why I chose that one. Proverbs 23 7. I think I'm trying to find that verse. It says, As a man thinks, so is he. It's not Proverbs 23 7. It's something, it's another word. Sorry about that. But as a man thinks, so is he. What I'm trying to say is, guys, 
from the moment I wake up, where are my words being sown? Are they being s- so? Let me let me let me um, let me define flesh and spirit to you. Flesh is basically the traditions of men. Shoot, the traditions of men, sin, world, uh, human ways. That's what we'll call the flesh. Sowing to the flesh is sowing into the traditions of men, sowing into sin, sowing into worldly ways or human ways, sowing into self. That would be sowing to the flesh. And it always results in destruction, ruin, corruption. And you're usually worse off than when you begin. Sowing to the Spirit is sowing God principles. So sowing to the Spirit is sowing God principles. And sowing practical righteousness. I'll explain that. Practical righteousness. That's sowing to the Spirit. And it always results in abundant life. A life of peace, rest, clarity, revelation. So every morning you and I wake up and we are carriers of seed. Our words are seed. The tongue is a spade. Our actions are seed. Our attitudes are seed. And our thoughts are seed. I remember saying this long ago. Uh, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Your destiny is so shaped by that little germ of a seed called a thought. Just imagine that, eh? We don't realize why the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. It's because when you sow a thought, you now reap an action. When you sow that action, you reap a habit. When you sow that habit, you reap a character. And when you sow that character over a period of time, it's natural that you would reap a destiny. And this is what uh, we need to garrison our kids from. Because it starts young, man. Some of my habits started when I was very young because a thought pattern was introduced. And boy, is it hard to break. Actions, attitudes, uh, thoughts. Any questions on this before we go on? Well, let me let me finish a little more, and then we'll break for questions. Uh, one of the things I wanted to change, guys, is we'll ask questions in betweenies, uh, and not any time we want, because um, it's great to ask questions anytime you want, but it's it's just elongating the um, uh, teaching, and uh, you think it's my fault, and it's not. That's one. <laughs> and two, um, on the tape, people don't hear your questions, so they can't understand these long pregnant pauses. They're almost nine months long, so let's just confine it to between uh, paragraphs. And then, and then when they do ask questions between paragraphs, do you mind repeating the question? Because I often don't hear it. And the tape Shush! <laughs> <laughs> I will. Shush! I will. This is what happens during a teaching. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine, man. I, I, I will try and repeat them. Usually I forget. Guys, uh, 
before we ask questions, every seed has its own body. Yeah? 1 Corinthians 15.58 says it, and it's in a completely different context. But uh, have you noticed how an orange seed is different from a mango seed? Uh, never try thinking that you can swallow both, because one will kill you and one will go down your uh, belly. So every seed has a different body, and every seed produces a certain kind of harvest. Remember that. Every seed has a different body and every seed produces a different kind of harvest. Meaning, every thought, every word, every action, every attitude has a different shape to it. And according to what I allow to germinate in me, accordingly I'll produce fruit as is based on the seed. A mango tree was brought up by a mango seed. Every seed has a body and every seed produces a certain kind of fruit. Just remember that. True. So depending on what I sow, I'm responsible for what grows. Depending on what I sow, I'm responsible for what grows. Depending on what I sow, I'm responsible for what grows. And I love this line and it's so, so crucial. Practice this guys. Never forget this line. In every situation, determine the seed. In every situation, determine the seed. Meaning... When you are in a particular situation that may be good, determine the seed that you can plant to make it better. When you are in a situation which stinks, determine the seed you can plant so that you can still come out of it. Because breakthrough comes through the seed you plant. Breakthrough does not come through prayer. I can have a habit and I can pray myself black and blue, asking God to change the habit and He will do everything He can to help. But at the end of the day, breakthrough comes through changing the habit by changing the thought pattern, which changes my action, which changes the habit. So breakthrough comes through the seed we sow. And God will give us seed to sow. He'll say, okay, Jacob, so this is the area you're struggling with. Here, let me tell you what seed to sow. Because by sowing the seed, you can change the crop that you've been growing for the last 20 years. Imagine that. Crazy, man. That's the way to function. Um, <laughs> okay, you can ask. Yeah, or uh, either that or I can repeat it, yeah. Any questions? Uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with scripture declarations but scripture declarations are declarations given to cover a whole lot of things but find out what is the seed I require in my particular situation for instance um, I can declare myself uh, as going to prosper Okay, and that's a great declaration God wants me to prosper God is the one who supplies this and God is the one who supplies that He is Jehovah Jireh He is my provider He will supply me according to all the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus and at the end of the day you'll hear a small whisper from God saying hey you want to prosper then go by this simple seed give and you will receive now while the declarations are good what you simply need to do is plant the seed of giving and receiving and suddenly you begin to see a crop. So it's not that the declarations are not good, but the declarations are like a smorgasbord where you need a particular seed to bring about a particular result. No one takes pineapples, mangoes, oranges, tomatoes, cucumbers and um, give me another seed bearing thingy. 
beans and plants them together. They're all good seeds, but they all have a place to be planted. Uh, see that others are trying to plant into you, one has to figure out, okay, for instance, let's assume I see an area in your life that needs change. If I come and say to you, Marcus, here is a seed, you plant this, this principle from God into your life, and it'll change you. Uh, you have to discern whether I'm telling you right, whether my intents are right, but usually you can take it for granted that I won't do you harm. Yeah, yeah. Any other questions, guys? Before I could actually quit smoking, I had to change my mindset into the difficulty of it. God planted a seed in me in the form of a book that I knew I had to read before I could ever quit smoking. And it helped me to change my mindset on how difficult it would be. And once I read the book in good faith, just suddenly overnight I could quit smoking. But I don't think that would have happened had I not followed what God told me to do first. So much breakthrough happens through the seed we sow, guys. Much breakthrough happens. And so um, you may think it's difficult. It's not. Who wants your garden to flourish the most? Not me. I I do. But who wants it to flourish the most? God, man. I mean, I I love what he says in John 15. He says, Umar, don't you know that I have planted you so that you may bear much fruit? So who is most interested in having your garden flourish? The Father. And so he's willing to supply seed. So I have to determine, here is a situation, I need a breakthrough. It's a bad situation or a good situation. What is the seed I need to sow? And this is not about money. It's about everything. Everything. I I, want to say this. Half the time the prophetic is about (laughs) equipping you with the right seed that God knows will produce a fruit in the future. Half the content of the prophetic is giving you seed that you can use to change your future. Because God is seeing days ahead and He's saying, plant the seed, there's a time coming, you need to change, this will come into fruition in two years and see what happens. Go ahead, James. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can can nothing be a seed? It, it happens in both ways. On one hand, doing nothing, according to a sir, uh, I don't remember the proverb, doing nothing will lead to decay. And then there's a doing nothing because God hasn't asked you to do anything yet. So there are two doing nothings. There's one doing nothing where Israel marched around Jericho doing nothing. And then there's a doing nothing which bring, brings decay. So you got to figure out which doing nothing you're indulging in. Sometimes God says do nothing. You've got to do nothing, man. I mean, God told... Yeah, you're trusting. But, but, no, but, no, yeah, but no action. God told a man um, that, listen, I'll give you a son. Do nothing. The man waited for some years and then went and married his wife's mistress. And we know what happened out of that. In case you don't know, it's Ishmael. <laughs> yeah. 
So let's talk about the different kinds of seeds. And the seed we'll talk about first are death seeds. Meaning, when I say death seeds, I don't mean you're going to die if you plant the seed. I'm just saying you will have corruption, destruction, and ruin if you plant these seeds. So let's talk about death seeds first. Okay. Um, if you want strife in your life, uh, one of the seeds that will really help is gossip. Gossip is a seed for strife. Gossip is the seed for strife. So, uh, but men don't gossip. <laughs> Trust me, they do. Let me l- let me <laughs> let me define gossip. Gossip is speaking ill. Gossip is defaming. Gossip is idle rumors. Gossip is speaking ill. Gossip is defaming. And gossip is idle rumors. Idle rumors. And so men as well as women indulge in it. Perhaps women a little more than men. I have heard. There's no statistics on it. But I have heard. I wouldn't know. My wife is very different when it comes to things like that. (laughs) How about I heard it from my wife? (laughs) Guys, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost part. Uh, So one of the things that gossip produces is strife. So gossip is a seed for strife. Gossip is a seed for strife. Check and... um, It's speaking ill, it's defaming, it's malicious or idle rumors. Idle rumors, yeah. So gossip is a seed for strife. Check, huh? Sometimes we need to check. Uh, stri- what strife? Strife is when uh, um, everything is calm and then suddenly this wave comes in and just throws everything into turmoil and turbulence. I mean, out of the blue, you're sailing fine. I mean, today felt like a summer day, man. Uh, and suddenly the waves come and everything changes. Uh, and check whether this is one of the areas that you're, uh, you're having a problem in. And remember, everything that I'm going to speak about in terms of death seeds, Christians know how to dress it up well. It's a prayer request. request. (laughs) Yeah. So just be aware that everything, we we dress them well. By the way, uh, what's the church's policy on Halloween? We never really talk about it because uh, we kind of assume that we know how to go about it. Guys, um, when, when I have my kids dress up in anything that represents death, then I should not expect life in them. Simple. Go by that. So how are you supposed to react when people come knocking at your door? Uh, Two, three choices and you can pick um, what is best. You can turn off the lights which um, um, makes them think, hmm, how come they're not coming out? Because they know you're inside. Or two, you can uh, prepare something for these kids that uh, have some kind of uh, value or moral or worth that comes from a Christian angle uh, or um, like me you can go to Kenya or uh, South Africa <laughs> so how you respond to that is your call but remember you cannot costume your child in something that masquerades as death or evil and expect that your child is going to benefit and especially because parents are the ones who make the decision 
now the child has no protection because the one that is in authority has said yes. So just be aware of that. Secondly, fear uh, is a seed that we sow. And fear is a seed for insecurity, people-pleasing, and double-mindedness. Fear is a seed. This is a, this is a very potent seed. Huh? It's a seed for insecurity, people-pleasing, and double-mindedness. And double-mindedness. Hey, I'll miss you guys, man. Fear is a... Just one person said, I'll miss you too. Thanks. This is on tape. You should have all shouted back together. Fear is a seed for insecurity, for people-pleasing, and for double-mindedness. Proverbs 29, 25. It wasn't that funny. Proverbs 29.25 Proverbs 29.25 Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is kept safe. Guys, I have this in different areas of my life, huh? where um, because of fear, I'll either end up people-pleasing or I'll develop a degree of insecurity. Double-mindedness, I seem to be able to deal with in faith, but insecurity and people-pleasing, I find happening. Where because of fear, I now... Um, dilute things and please people or I feel insecure in different circumstances. So this is a seed that produces this. And remember that if the moment you plant double-mindedness, then you shouldn't expect to get anything. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, a man who is double-minded shouldn't think that he will obtain anything. Shouldn't think that he will receive anything. There's an inability to receive the moment double-mindedness is a seed. Check and see, huh? if that's that's how you approach things, where should I, should I not? Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Uh, what if this happens, what if that happens, but then this happened to that person and then this happened to this person, what if it doesn't turn out, maybe I should have a plan B, uh, prepare for the worst case scenario so that you will never be disappointed. Uh, the solution to it, uh, there's life seed which we can talk about later, but the solution in this is again going back to um, sowing trust and sowing faith in the character of God. Sowing trust and faith in the character of God. The solution to the first one, in terms of fear. Man, you know, insecurity and people-pleasing can be destroyed if I have a sense of worth in Christ. And my sense of worth fluctuates sometimes. Because sometimes I'm more concerned about how much you count me worthy than how much God counts me worthy. Therefore, it is important for me to make sure that I please you. And that puts me in a place of insecurity. Uh, how do I deal with this? When I know that there are people that I seem to want to easily please 
because I'm afraid of what they will think of me or how they will respond. Then I go before I meet them. I spend time with God saying, Father, you know my situation with this person. I always uh, seem to want uh, the recognition from this person. So I spend mm, minutes or hours walking and saying to God, Father, I need to be in love with you today before I meet this person. Because if I'm aware of how much you like me, I don't have a problem dealing with people who may think me worthy or not. Once I'm set there, no, then it doesn't matter. Then it doesn't matter. I remember doing it the first time uh, Eddie came. The first time Eddie came, um, it was the first time he was going to see me lead worship, and it was here. And uh, I remember trying my best to uh, generate the kind of worship that would be awesome. And um, I thought it was all your fault because you guys weren't responding. But basically, I was trying hard. In fact, um, Bernice sent me an email saying, um, uh, today worship seemed an effort. And I didn't like that at all, but I didn't tell her that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the whole point being, it was important for me to impress Eddie because this was the first time Eddie was coming. And uh, uh, I remember going back the next day and saying, Father, I can't do this. It's too, it's too painful to try and drum up this thing. And that day I remember walking with God saying, i got to worship you because you like me a lot and I like you a lot. And um, I couldn't care about less about the rest. And that made it very easy the second day. Because now there was no need to worship, impress anybody. Why do you need to impress people? Because you're afraid of what they will think if you don't impress them. Fear. This is why John 13, 1 to 3, brilliant. Jesus Christ, knowing where he came from and where he was going, took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around him, went down to his knees and started washing his disciples' feet. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you. This church should learn when to say Amen. Unforgiveness. That's an easy one, but um, I just want to bring in a a small thing that we don't normally say. I I, I know you know that unforgiveness brings in a toxicity in you. That we know. But one of the things we need to understand about unforgiveness is unforgiveness puts you into spiritual quarantine. Unforgiveness puts you into spiritual quarantine. Spiritual quarantine. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, when you have a disease, they put you aside in a room till they check you out and you recover from the disease. uh, uh, The moment we think of what Jesus taught his disciples, and he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. One of the things that happens in unforgiveness is that I am now set aside, not set aside by God, but I'm spiritually quarantined till I can overcome the hurt or the harm done to me. And I'm not able to have God flow through me the way He wants me to because I suffer from a disease that needs to be quarantined. Important. So, uh, spiritual quarantine is not fun. It's like you can't mix with the rest till you're over the sickness. Not really 
experience in another place what unforgiveness is um, the result of it yeah that he cannot forgive us yeah that, that's what I was saying yeah yeah and it actually describes what happens yeah about this uh, little thing right yeah yeah. The guys, the way it works is, let's assume he's my son, and uh, he has unforgiveness against his brother. Now, it's not that he stops being my son, but now what I have cannot flow through him till he comes into a place where he reconciles with his brother. Therefore, when I have to call one of my sons to do something, I'll call the younger one, even though the older one is more qualified, because he has spiritually quarantined himself from being used when I want him to be used. Because when he is unforgiving, he and I have nothing in common. Because everything I am speaks forgiveness. So, be aware of spiritual quarantine. It's so self-defeating as a Christian. The next seed, deception. Today, two or three times we heard God saying, while we were, uh, during the time of worship, and people were speaking and saying what God was saying, we heard, do not build on lies, speak the truth. Deception. And so, when God says that two or three times in a congregation, pay attention, because Maybe there's an issue in my life where I'm lying or deceiving. And maybe there's an issue in your life that you need to take care of. So deception is a seed for concealment. Deception is the seed for concealment. Meaning, when I deceive, um, I get concealed. Because you have to walk in the light of the truth. Deception has the ability to conceal. Jacob was concealed in Laban's house for 20 years. Because of his deception. If those were not 20 years that God had ordained for him, by the way. Just so we are clear. Joseph's imprisonment was a God thing. It says in Psalm 105 or 106 that he was put in fetters and the word of the Lord tested him. It never says that about Jacob. <laughs> 20 years a guy is concealed in Laban's house for his deception. Deception is a seed for concealment. It will conceal your life and it will conceal the very thing you are trying to lie and build. Oh man, I don't know why I don't get this. The very thing you are lying about will never see the light of day because it's concealed. And the very... Uh, when I indulge in deception, whatever I am touching is concealed. It does not see the light of God. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. Accusation is the seed for captivity. Accusation is the seed for captivity. Accusation is the seed for captivity. So why? Because when I partner with the accuser of the brethren, then it's like running a, um, you know, when you tie two people's legs together and they're going to run that race. Two-legged or three-legged? I can't understand that. It's two legs. But anyways. Okay, so basically that's what happens. 
when you when you start accusation is a seed for captivity because now you bring yourself into bondage by partnering with the accuser of the brethren does that not mean we don't raise our voice against things that are wrong but one knows the spirit it's coming from many times when I begin to talk about things that are wrong in terms of the church many times I find myself sliding from it being uh, an indignation that is correct to an accusation that is wrong I can see myself slipping an accusation then becomes the seed for captivity Uh, how you think about it and let me know Vice versa, yeah. It could be, but uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Isolation or independence is the seed for the failure of purposes and plans. Isolation, this is an important one, guys, because it's so easy to become like this. Isolation or independence is the seed for failure of purpose and error. Isolation or independence is the seed for failure of purpose and error. Uh, Proverbs 15.22 Plans fail for the lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Plans fail for the lack of counsel, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 24.6 For waging war, you need guidance, and for victory, many advisors. For waging war, you need guidance, and for victory, you need many advisors. So when I begin to operate in isolation and independence, now do you see why it would be so foolish not to be sent by the body? When I go on my own. How foolish is that? Go ahead. Failure of purpose and error. Error is a separate... Seed, yeah. Um, isolation or independence is a seed for failure of purpose and it's a seed for error. Go ahead. No, let's assume I have a plan and a purpose. But when I choose to operate in isolation or independence, those purposes and plans fail because in the counsel of many, there is wisdom. And that when I strategize for war, it's good to have advisors. We don't operate as mavericks. Error as in making errors because of the lack of guidance or counsel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. In an orchard, yeah. Everything is grown. Stems are 
taken off. Some are sold to people to consume. Yeah. For future growth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so sad, eh? Guys, uh, the kingdom of God is never about isolation. Yeah, um, uh, he saw an apple tree growing growing in a garbage um, disposal area. Apple trees usually grow in orchards, not in a garbage disposal area. It has fruit, but no one's going to eat of it. So, um, the, the, the kingdom of God is never about isolated, independent operation. Amen. Gisela's in the building. Discontent, discontent or complaint is the seed for covetousness and bitter envy. Discontent is the seed for craving or covetousness and bitter envy. Guys, again, uh, as far as I know, I'm not um, someone who divides men and women as women are this way, men are this way. But I'd suggest to you that this is more common to women than men. Discontent or discontentment sometimes seems to be more a problem with women than men. Discontentment is the seed for craving or uh, um, or, or covetousness, I want what that person has. And it also is the seed for bitter envy, as in I cannot get what I what that person has. Leads to quarreling and strife. James chapter 4 verses 1. James 4 verses 1 and 2 talks about it. Exodus 16, 3 talks about it. Man, did Israel lose its inheritance because of discontentment? And what were they discontented for? Onions and leeks. So what should have they done? Not complained or praise God for men? Or what's the solution? Let's go to James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. It has a solution right there. So Matt, what causes fights and quarrels among you? No, (laughs) you're quite a content guy, so I'm not talking about you. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then it goes on to tell you how to correct your heart. James 4, 1 and 2. Bitter envy. Hey, this is a nasty one, eh? Bitter envy. And may I suggest to you that all of us have it at some time or the other? It's a combination of bitterness and envy. Envy because of, darn, I don't have it. Bitterness because I deserve it and how come they have it? And when bitterness and envy combine... It says bitter envy is the seed for all confusion and the demonic. James chapter 4. For every evil and for confusion. um, Bitter envy. Let me find it. Um, uh, James chapter 3 verse 14. 
James chapter 3 verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Imagine that, eh? Confusion and every evil practice in a place where bitterness and envy combine in my life. That's a nasty one. Confusion and every evil thing. How nuts is that? Talk about holding coals to your chest and expecting not to be burnt. Yep, yep. Anger. Um, again, common to men and women. Um, Christians disguise it. Yeah, this is something I've been working on for the last two weeks now. Um, refusing to get angry with things that are happening around me that are wrong, but refusing to react against it with anger. When someone throw something out of their car window, when someone uh, um, breaks through a red light and uh, 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 endangers somebody else, when someone uh, is being obnoxious, when someone is not treating me right, my first reaction should not be outrage. Even this afternoon I was driving and I saw something happening and I felt a degree of anger rising in me uh, and I said, come on Jacob, about time you let go of this. My first reaction should not be anger. I should be outraged by the things that um, uh, are crooked. But anger is not the first reaction. Because anger is a seed for stupidity. Yeah, really. Anger is a seed for stupidity, for, for contention and plunder. Plunder. Anger is a seed for stupidity and plunder. As in, a man who does not have control over his spirit is like a city without walls. Anyone can come in, ravage, plunder and leave. Contention and plunder. It's Proverbs 14.17 and Proverbs 25.28. Proverbs 14.17 and Proverbs 25.28. Guys, here's another one and I would su suggest to you that this applies to men more than women. Mediocrity or complacency is the seed for the death of your destiny. Ah. Mediocrity or complacency is the seed for the death of your destiny. Mediocrity or complacency is the seed for the death of your destiny. Proverbs 1.32 For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Legalism Legalism is a seed for alienation. Legalism is a seed for alienation. 
alienation a l i e n a t i o n and it's also the seed for dullness dullness and alienation and i'll explain that dullness and alienation alienation is when um even though you're walking with somebody there's a distance or a gap so um there have been uh, no he he was fine i mean uh, there have been situations where i've gone with people and um, i might be walking right next to them but you know there's a coldness between them and me because i there's i feel alienated from them it's not that god alienates us but legalism has the ability to alienate us from god simply because legalism is christ plus something legalism uh defines matthew 27 this way and jesus christ died on the cross and as he died he said it is finished but you have to do something else to complete it those were his final words on the cross yeah but legalism is exactly that legalism says Christ on the cross cried out Father to you I submit my spirit it is finished and they have to do very little more that is what legalism is and it's pukish when you think of it I may I suggest to you that there is nobody here who does not have shades of legalism in your life nobody here problem is you don't see it others see it it's a seed for alienation galatians 5 verses 1 to 4 galatians 5 verses 1 to 4 don't worry there are good seeds coming galatians 5 1 to 4 still feels good turning pages man galatians 5 verses 1 to 4 um it's for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery mark my words i paul tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised christ will be of no value to you at all again i declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from christ you have fallen away from grace ouch and the other thing um uh, that legalism does is it brings in dullness dullness as in uh, as god explains thing all he hears is a voice going duh 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 look at second corinthians 3 second corinthians 3 verse 14 but their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read it has not been removed because only christ can take it away there's a veil that covers us when our freedom is not found in everything that christ has done but it's what christ has done plus something else there's a dullness that comes in just be aware of it it's the way it works two more and then we can have questions or one more scorn scorn scorning despising 
Scorn or despising things is a seed for barrenness. Scorn is a seed for barrenness. Scorn or despising something is a seed for barrenness. So, this is what happened to Michael, Mikhail. When she saw David dancing like a uh, fool in her words, with the Ark of the Covenant, she scorned him and she remained barren for the rest of her life. Yeah. So scorn or despising something is a seed for barrenness. And whatever you despise, you will not get. Whatever you despise, you will not possess. Whatever you despise, you will not possess. Despise the prophetic, you will not <laughs> receive much benefit from the prophetic. Despise the uh, actuality of healing being the will of God, and it's unlikely that we will receive healing. When it happens, it will be the sheer grace of God. Despise um, big church, and you will always remain 26. Despise, whatever you despise, you will not possess. Because scorn is a seed for barrenness in that area. Questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, good question. Uh, on one hand, I'm saying that trust in God and trust in His finished work. On the other hand, I'm saying, work these principles. So how does it happen? Um, here's, here's what we need to understand. My body is neutral. This body does not do any evil. So I, I go shake His hand, and my body is an instrument of good. I go hit Him, and my body is an instrument of bad. So my body is neutral. My spirit is perfect. God lives there. God is resident there. That's where He lives. The area that I need to work on, because the Bible says, work out your salvation. As in, the area that I need to transform so that more and more people recognize the Christ who lives inside is my thinking. So all these principles have to do with changing the way I think. Yeah. So, um, it's like a baby in a womb. Neither Mariana nor Sapna have to do anything as the baby grows. But boy, a day is coming when they'll have to go through labor to push the baby out. But in terms of the actual growth of the baby, they do nothing. It happens. It's a complete work that God finished before the earth was created. Already the babies in the wombs were there before creation. Everything is complete. But in the process of bringing that baby here on earth, there will be work involved. There will be work involved for both James and Sapna. Oh, I don't know how you men handle your wives when they are going through labor, man. Yeah. Let's take Jesus' example. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. When he functioned on earth, he functioned as a man who followed the Holy Spirit. Here's what uh, the Bible says in Luke 1 about him. Luke one fifty two or 53 says that he grew in wisdom, stature and favor with God and man. So he had to learn. 
Hebrews 5.14 says, He learned obedience through suffering and with tears. So he had to learn. So here is a full God-man who comes on earth and he has to learn the ways of his Father. The reason we find it strenuous to learn the ways of the Father is because we fluctuate between the Father and the world. The reason Jesus didn't find it a, a strain to function the way his Father wanted was simply because It was his only desire. He says in John 4, It is my meat and drink to do what my father wants. And, yeah. Go ahead. So in other words, what we are doing over here is we have to be aware of all these so that the finished world is not one to waste. No, that it completes itself here on earth. So we have to be aware that when these things come in our life, yeah. Yeah. Let let me give you an example. Why is it that I'm um, uh, negating anger out of my life right now? Not because I will become a man of great control. Because if I hadn't told you, you wouldn't even know. But because in that area, I'm finding two things. One, I'm finding that I'm completely on God. The only difference is, my finger doesn't go up and I, my mouth doesn't say words. Because I know better than that. But the anger begins to rage inside. I'm completely on God. And two, I know that if anger persists in my life, there will be physical outcomes. So let's rule out the physical outcome. Set them aside. I want to remove anger from my life because I know that it is something that my father would thoroughly enjoy. And that about four, three, four weeks ago, he began to shine light on this area saying, Son, in this area, you got a problem. And my response is, Father, I'd so like to solve this with you. No longer is it, I've got to work, I've got to work. Now it is, I've got to operate by a principle that my father has established. I'll do it joyfully. It's like, what's his name? The guy who won... 7 or 21 medals in the Olympics? Michael Phelps. Phelps does... (laughs) Phelps actually is working out Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. For the joy that was set set before him, he counted as nothing the training towards heading to the cross. Phelps has no problems swimming 5 hours a day for 7 days. For years. Because he knows the joy that is set before him. What is the joy that should be set before us so that we start running there? Guys, I've seen workaholics. I'm dealing with a workaholic right now. Not from Acts 29. Uh, I'm dealing with a workaholic right now who is so consumed with work that his marriage is falling apart. But his consumption with work is full of joy. He, He looks forward to an impossible deadline. Because if he gets an impossible deadline... Joan, do you want to change places? You're good? Okay. Um, um, no, no, Renita, it's got nothing to do with you. <laughs> I thought the light was too bright. That's why I thought... Yeah. Um, uh, so, so... Uh, yeah, workaholic. I said workaholic, not alcoholic. Yeah. So, uh, so this guy is consumed with his work and he loves impossible deadlines because he knows now he's got a meter and he's consumed with it and he's making money. But he's so consumed with it, it doesn't matter. That's how we should be. Yep. 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 
you know, legality, couldn't that be a technical term then? I mean, you apply the same thing, follow these principles. These are legal principles, and I think even Eddie said somewhere, and you know what, if these principles are practiced by a non-Christian, he will bear fruit because he's practicing the principles. Salvation is our question. Yeah. He's practicing these principles. Yeah. The same principles were put into the law, which the Lord said, I have fulfilled it. Yeah. I have not erased the law, I have not erased a single prophecy, I have come and I have fulfilled it. Yeah. So we, walking in these principles, it's just that we change the word, so stay away from the No, no, because the reason it was called a law was because it was a question of do's and don'ts that justify... Yeah, legalism. The whole idea of legalism, which is again the law and the code of conduct that Moses had given, was based on a simple thing. Do this and you will be justified. Don't do this and you will be condemned. And the aspect of love or the aspect of fatherhood was completely missing. In the New Testament, this is not a question of do's and don'ts. This is not a question of eternal security. This is a question of becoming like Christ. And it is motivated by one thing. Love and joy. The two things that were banished in the old covenant, except by the few that understood it, was joy and love, were never the motivating factors for the law. David in this was brilliant. When you read Psalm 119, by the way, you should read it occasionally, even though it's long. Uh, he says, I, I want to run in the uh, path of your laws. I have great joy in it. You rarely hear that from anybody else. David got it. That's why he could revolutionize things the way he did. So that's one of the huge differences between the law and how we see things today. You want to add anything to it? Okay. The solution is being uh, recognizing God's love for me so that I can now love him back. A guy from Bangalore sent me an email and he said just two lines in it that he felt the Lord was saying. And these two lines may seem so insignificant. But as I'm reading it, I, I was repeating it this morning, reminding the Lord and thanking Him. He said, Jacob, there are many more nations to... The Father says, there are many more nations to go to. And the Father says, I like you a lot. <laughs> this morning, uh, I, it was uh, This morning when I went for the wedding, I didn't want it to become formal. I wanted people to know who I belong to. So uh, I spent some time talking to the Lord, saying, Father... I could be one of those official pastors doing a wedding, but I want them to know who I belong to. So I need to talk to you and get things right. So when I go there, uh, things flow easily. And one of the things I was reminding the Lord was, Father, I just want to remind you of that email, (laughs) your words. You said you liked me a lot. And so it's easy for me now to like you back. And so when I went there, it was so cool. Like I didn't feel official at all, even though I was in a suit. So scorn is a seed for barrenness. Michael scorned David. Esau. Esau scorned his birthright and never possessed it. So what you despise, you will not birth. Guys, the thing is, most of us plant many of these seeds together. And then we wonder why things are happening the way they are happening. So now let's talk about the good seeds or the seeds of life. What time is it? Wow, we're doing very well, man. We'll be out of here by 8 today. Well, that would still be 3 hours, right? Hmm. We'll be out here before 8. I, uh, that's going to be my aim right now. Okay, 
Life seeds. <laughs> I know it's funny, Sarah. Sarah, it would be much shorter if your dad didn't ask so many questions. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. And Psalm one talks about it too. Life seeds, guys. First, life seed. Praise and thanks is the seed for the manifest presence of God. Praise and thanks is the seed for the manifest presence of God. And the emphasis is on the word manifest because God dwells in us as a people. So it's not that we need praise and thanks to have him appear because that was our old way of thinking that we have to have praise and worship so that God can inhabit our praises. That's an Old Testament pattern. Psalm 100, as I've said before, does not apply to the church. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. That was the protocol that was established for the people in the old covenant. There was a way. They couldn't come before him any other ways because they were not sons yet. Even though God called Israel his son. They had no concept of fatherhood. So today we don't approach that way. I mean, Sarah, Travis, they go running to their dads. There's no hallelujah, praise the Lord, help me father. No, nothing like that. Just straight. So that protocol has been... Stop laughing. <laughs> okay. Praise and thanks is a seed for his manifest presence. Meaning, when my life is one that has praise and thanks in it, there's a tangible evidence of God that I recognize and people around me recognize. Today, when suddenly we broke out into the kind of praise we were engaging in, there was a tangible presence of God. None of us were focusing on Jawad or uh, him or me. Manifest is when something makes an appearance. So there's a tangible presence of God. Like when someone puts on a perfume. So you know the guy is wearing CK. He's present all the time, but now his presence becomes evident. Because now it's a life characterized by... Why is it that you go to some people and you immediately know their gentleness? Why is it that you go to some people and you immediately know that they have a very uh, gentle spirit? How come? Because they've lived that for so long. That is the first thing that shows. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? You can spend two minutes with a person and you know the person has a gentle spirit. That didn't happen in a day. That happened over years, man. Seed for intimacy. Very simple. Seed for intimacy. Genuine, consistent pursuit is the seed for intimacy. Genuine, consistent pursuit is the seed for intimacy. Genuine, consistent pursuit is the seed for intimacy. brilliant man genuine that's easy consistent that's the problem I can be genuine every fourth day but genuine consistent pursuit is the seed for intimacy may you be in your lo- may you be in love with your wife every day consistent pursuit of her Consistent pursuit of her. That we'll talk about tomorrow. This is the one that this church is very um, used to. 
What is the seed for revelation? What is the seed for revelation? Maybe I shouldn't have said it in such haste. <laughs> yep. Mind chain. A change of mindset is the seed for revelation. God only reveals things when we are willing to change our wineskins. New wine is poured into new wineskins. Who wrote Mark Sue? <laughs> new wine is poured into new wineskins. Therefore, an old wineskin has to be changed. A change of mind is an absolute necessity for new things from God. Um, uh, yes, in the context that he is probably speaking to the um, uh, Pharisees in Luke 9, it is that we cannot, he's saying you can't take a new cloth and put it on an old it tears. So you've got to change your thinking before the truths that I'm saying to you can come into your life. And the Pharisees were saying, nope, Moses told us this. Uh, do you say that you're greater than Moses? That's what their question was. So a change of thinking is what brings in new revelation. S- simply, and yet, if I don't change my thinking, there is nothing new. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Even I know that. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just why why does everyone pick on it? Great. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, most of the new truths will I mean, trust me, new wine blows your mind. There's a shop when you drive up to Shillong from Calcutta, there is a shop that sells wine. And I've taken a picture of it. And the name of the liquor shop is Mind Blowing Wine. (laughs) That's the name of the shop. Mind Blowing Wine. And it is true. New wine will blow our thinking because it goes beyond what we can comprehend. Yeah. Change of mind and purity. Um, Explain some more. Why do you think? Okay. Any relation... Um, I, I, I would put it this way blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God so in that sense yes purity allows me purity is a proof that I am intimate with God and I will see things of God but at the end of the day one can be pure I have met people who are super pure but super pure but not willing to change and that's a tough one eh? so you have people who are super pure their lives are very pure and they'll put us to shame because their lives are very pure. And they'll have visions from God that will show them what they need to do. But in terms of actually, uh, um, um, f- what do you call this movement? Actually um, advancing. Uh, actually advancing the things of God. God will not be able to use them simply because they do not want to change the way of thinking. So for them applies the scripture, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and uh, they shall see God here on earth and see God in heaven. But they won't be able to advance the purposes of God. So they will see the Christ child being born 
and then they'll die. Like Anna. Absolutely. 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 Is it possible to be pure and yet not have a change of mind? And I'm saying yes. I've met too many people like that. Really pure people, man. But not willing to change this. Because what they received from Noah, they still hold on to. Would you say that John the Baptist was pure? Jesus said about John the Baptist, There is no man greater than this man. And yet, Don John the Baptist, as pure as he was, I mean, he was so unworldly that he was eating locusts. I mean, yeah, and Jesus said, uh, <laughs> John said, I can't even untie your shoes. And Jesus called him the greatest man. And yet this very man who Jesus said is the greatest did not transition or change in his thinking. Continued to have his own disciples. After, after uh, six months sent word to Jesus saying, are you the real deal or should we wait for another Messiah? A man who is pure who did not change his mind. And he was one of the greatest men who lived. Yeah, yeah, which was the second part of what he said. But what we're focusing now on is the fact that John being the greatest man and a pure life still wasn't willing to change. And there are many like that. Our minds, yeah, our minds have to change so that we have the mind of Christ. Yep, yep. Uh, guys, once uh, a change of mind is a seed for revelation, now what happens is revelation gives you the seed. Revelation is the seed for accessing the kingdom. And I'll explain that. Revelation is the seed for accessing the kingdom. Revelation is the seed for accessing things of the kingdom. What I mean by that is, here's Peter, and Peter has asked a simple question. Who do you? Th- uh, P- uh, Jesus asks his disciples questions. He says, "Who do you think I am?" Everybody answers. Peter says, "You are Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus says, "This revelation did not come to you from flesh, but it came to you from my Father." And then he says to you, "On this rock I will build my church." And he says, "Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom." What does that mean? That Peter has the ability now to access things of the kingdom, to make things of the kingdom available. So when revelation comes, it gives you the key to open other shelves, other cupboards, other rooms that God has with stuff for you that would not be able to be accessed except for the fact that you are willing to continuously change the way you think. Let me give you another example. Um, as you get to know someone well, you will find that they trust you more and more with the things in their house. Because you have a greater revelation of who they are. As you come into a greater revelation of God and His ways, He will trust you with more and more keys in His house, which you can keep opening to find new things. But if you don't come into a place where you are Uh, willing to change your mindset about something, you will not be able to get those keys. Mm -hmm. 
No. No. Changing of the mind is the ability, uh, um, very simple. Uh, I'll go back to that simple uh, illustration I always give. They asked Noah, what should we do to be saved? And Noah said, come into the boat. They asked Moses, what shall we do to be saved? And Moses said, follow the Ten Commandments. They asked John the Baptist, what shall I do to be saved? And John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. They asked Jesus, what shall I do to be saved? And Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. They asked Paul, what shall I do to be saved? And Paul said, not by works, but by faith. Same question, six, seven different answers. Each time, the flower opens a little more. The flower opens a little more. What happens is sometimes, because we heard Noah say, come into the boat, God is now saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And you're saying, can't be because Noah said, step into a boat. That's what is called an a refusal to change my mind. Because I have grown up in a certain denomination, certain tradition, because my grandfather told me this, because this is what I learned in Bible college, and I spent $20,000 doing that, and now you expect me to give up all that because you are bringing a new truth? No way. Stick on to hold on to Noah. You don't do that. Fruitfulness. Sacrifice is the seed for fruitfulness. Want to be fruitful? <laughs> In the area that you want to be fruitful, die. I- I'll explain it. F- sacrifice is the seed for fruitfulness. John twelve twenty four. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. So, um, if you want... Um, just think of this, eh? what happens when you die to mammon? It releases wealth. What happens when you die to ambition? It releases your true destiny. What happens when you die to control? It releases freedom. What happens when you die to self-preservation? It releases fruitfulness. What happens when you die to covetousness? It releases plenty. I can go on and on and on. Let me repeat that again. What happens when you die to mammon? Meaning money. It releases wealth. What happens when you die to ambition? It releases your destiny. Here we are holding on to our ambition, saying I want to be this, I want to be that. Nothing wrong with that. But when you release ambition, God's plans begin to take over. What happens when you die to control? Ah, do we want our ducks lined up in a row? Every time travel time comes, I can see it coming up, man. I've got to have all my ducks lined up. When you, when, you, when you die to control, you release freedom. When you die to self-preservation, you release fruitfulness. So, sacrifice is the seed for fruitfulness. This is why I said in the beginning, guys, examine your situation, determine the seed. What time is it? So the accurate response would be, doesn't matter, Jacob. (laughs) Okay. The righteousness is the seed for deliverance. Righteousness. Hey, um, Matt, can you grab me a half a cup of coffee, please? Um, 
Yeah, righteousness is the seed for deliverance and favor. Righteousness is the seed for deliverance and favor. Guys, uh, the, when there are demonic problems, you can deliver people, but their deliverance can be continuous when they begin to walk in right ways of God, right standing with God. Righteousness is the seed for, just half is good math, righteousness is the seed for deliverance. Righteousness is the seed for deliverance and of favor. Thanks, man. Just righteousness is the seed for... Um, <clears throat> righteousness is the seed for deliverance and favor. Turn to Psalm 3419. Psalm 3419. Hey, tons of scripture there eh, that you can go and examine at home because most scriptures correspond to almost everything I've read here. I haven't read all of them out. Psalm 3419. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Hosea 1012. Hosea 10.12 Hosea 10.12 Sow for yourself righteousness reap the fruit of unfailing love or favor break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you sow for yourself righteousness and and you will reap the fruit of unfailing love meaning righteousness is a seed for deliverance and for favor righteousness is a seed for deliverance and favor. Nothing like walking a right way. Jesus used to love this. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man because he walked ways that were righteous. Why did he walk ways that were righteous? Because he was in love with his righteous father. I love the song that the guys in Bahrain wrote. They wrote, um, for, for we are holy for the holy one is in us. We are righteous for the righteous one is in us. And so it becomes natural then for a people who follow this God to walk that way. This is why God says, Be ye perfect for I am perfect. Boy, what a standard he sets. And then when he said, But that's not impossible, he says, But I'm living in you. So let's work towards it. Dependence is the seed for safety. Dependence is the seed for safety and strength actually. Dependence is the seed for safety and strength. Dependence is the seed for safety and strength. Ironically, um, we think that a sign of strength is independence. While the Bible says dependence is a seed for strength and safety. Ecclesiastes 4, 11 and 12. A man who walks alone will be cold. Two people who walk together will be warm. A threefold cord cannot be broken. The safety in that, man. Ecclesiastes 4, 11 and 12. I love the next one. Acts 29, get this one for your life. eh? Managing what God places in your charge is the seed for dominion or rule. Managing what God places in your charge is the seed for dominion or for ruling. Managing what God pl- managing what God places in your charge is the seed for dominion or for ruling. Managing what God places in your charge is the seed 
for dominion. Matthew 25 verse 14. And he gave talents to different people. He gave some five, he gave some two, he gave some one. The guys with the five came back and said, We took the five, we multiplied it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the joy of the Lord. You will now be placed over ten cities. You, uh, uh, The point being, when you manage what you presently have faithfully, and you discharge it well, know that you will be given more to rule over. It might be a difficult charge that you have, but do it well, guys, and you will be given more. If I discharge my uh, responsibility as uh, the set man in this house well, then more will be given to me. And if I don't, then not only will what I have be taken away, yeah, we won't go there. The, the principle for dominion, the seed for dominion or rule, is be faithful over what you have today. Your children will benefit, man. What's the seed for promotion? What's the seed for promotion? Humility is the seed for promotion. Hey, by the way, promotion is God's way of advancing His children in the system of the world. Promotion is God's way of advancing His kids in the systems of the world. You should see how God promotes. Hey? Mordecai is a guy who sits at the gate and suddenly he becomes the one who is honored. Joseph is a prisoner. Suddenly he becomes prime minister. Moses is a refugee. Suddenly he becomes deliverer. God is looking for people who won't be affected by positions. So humility is a seed for promotion. Humility is a seed for promotion. In every area, not at work, eh? even when you get something. Uh, I think I told you, I started getting favors when I was traveling. And at one point when I didn't get the treatment that I thought I deserved, I became pretty obnoxious in my behavior, man. It was like, how come you're not giving me what I deserve? And I've heard the Lord saying, you didn't earn it, I just gave it to you, so why are you acting like this? It is a perk that I got. And so I step into this perk, and then when the ones who are supposed to serve me don't serve me, I started um, demanding things of them. Humility is a seed for promotion. Humility is a seed for promotion. I love this next one. Gentleness is the seed for incisive influence. Gentleness is the seed for incisive influence. I'll explain it. Gentleness is the seed for incisive influence. Guys, use gentleness in every situation and you'll make much further inroad than if you come with any other attitude. For the single guys here, Remember, gentleness makes a man more attractive. Gentleness is only Matt and me, so it doesn't help much. Orion too. Gentleness makes a man more attractive. <laughs> gentleness is a seed for incisive influence. Gentle answer turns away wrath. So work on it, guys. 
um, in any situation, when you come in gently, this is why he talks about your Savior very differently. Behold, he comes, riding on a donkey, meek and gentle. Doesn't matter that Jerusalem is a rebellious city. He comes in riding on a fall of a donkey like James was singing. He comes with gentleness. It has incisive influence like nothing else can influence. All the chest beating and the loud voice and the forcefulness that some of us have will get us a certain way. But at the end of the day, come with a gentle spirit and you'll be amazed at how incisive it is. This is why you will find that when Eddie works with people, they don't even know that he's um, actually taken their liver out. I mean, he he operates with a scalpel, man. By the time he's done, you'll still think he's talking and you just haven't realized that he's taken your liver out. Very different from some other people I know, who by the time you take the liver out, they're a bleeding mess. So, be gentle. Be gentle. This one used to your advantage. We've got three or four more to go and then we're done. Gifts are the seed for greater room or access. Gifts are the seed for greater room or access. By the way, when we talked about gentleness, Proverbs 15.1 talks about it. First Peter 3.15 talks about it. Deuteronomy 32.2. In 2010, I remember on January 1st, the Lord saying, Jacob, may your words be like dew that is gentle on the ground. Um, I forgot it halfway through the year, but that was something I remember him saying. Uh, Gifts are the seed for greater room or access. Proverbs 18.16. Guys, whatever you're gifting is, I'm not talking about spiritual gifts. Any gift that you know you possess, that you're good at, it'll create room for you. It says, gifts will bring you before kings. Both your spiritual and your normal gifts. It will bring you before kings. Meaning, it will create a pathway for you. It will open access. Is the prophetic you're gifting? Use it as God directs. And it will create room for you. Is cooking your gifting? Use it. You have no idea how many people um, have the names, uh, to, to say it in a very evangelistic way, have the names written in the book of life because of her cooking. It creates room. doesn't matter what it is. Use the Proverbs 18.16. I think it puts it this way. Um, a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. Simple, simple, simple. A gift opens the way for the giver. Whatever your spiritual gifts are, Yes, they're meant to edify the body, but use them whenever God directs you out in the world to because you have no idea what will open. I've told you stories upon stories of how the prophetic has opened up the lives of kings. So use it. If you want to inherit everything God has for you, the gift for, um, the seed for inheritance is zeal or holy violence, as um, Wayne was saying uh, when he was praying for me. Zeal or holy violence accomplishes everything God has for you. 
zeal or holy violence. And what did we say holy violence comprises? Someone from last week's notes? What's holy violence? What are the three components of holy violence? I think it's important for Acts 29 to um, get this so deep into your psyche that if I wake you up in the middle of the night, you'll be able to tell me. What, what constitutes holy violence? There were, there were three things. One was a Greek word, and there were two other things with it. Pardon? Yeah. <laughs> and what are the other two? Can someone look at their old notes? Okay, so the first one is? The first one, the first ingredient of as, uh, holy violence is passionate determination. determination. Second? Knowledge. Knowledge. Third? Agape. Being deeply agape. And uh, I'll just touch on this again so that you and I don't forget these. Zeal or holy violence is made up of a passionate determination. Meaning, th- there's this passion in you saying, ah, I'm determined, I'm passionate about this determination of mine as I press forward to what God has laid a hold on me for. The second one is knowledge. It's not... Huh. The second one is knowledge. Knowledge is vital for zeal because otherwise, Proverbs 19.1 says that zeal without knowledge is like a misguided missile. It doesn't say that, but that's what it means. Knowledge without zeal is dangerous. That's what it says. So, you have to have knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the truths of God. So that your zeal is not misguided. Your zeal has to be based in the true knowledge of God. And finally, it has to come from this place of being deeply agape by God. Meaning, you have to be so aware that the reason I am able to fuel myself in holy violence is because I am deeply loved by God and it's out of that that I function. Otherwise, what will happen is you will end up being the two sons of... um, Not Sceva. John and James. The sons of Zebedee. You become the two sons of Zebedee who were so consumed with zeal that they said, shall we bring down fire on Chris's head and Chantal's head? (laughs) Sons of thunder. And so Jesus responded saying, "Um, uh, I don't know what kind of spirit you guys are. And trust me, the reason they said, shall we call down fire is because they actually thought they could because they knew Elijah had. So it wasn't an empty boast. There was sufficient faith. But remember, whenever you called on fire, wear an asbestos suit. So zeal or holy violence is a seed for inheritance. Turn to Numbers 25. Numbers 25. Uh, I don't recommend this at all, but it's just to prove a point. Uh, Get the moral of the story, not the action of the story. Numbers 25, uh, verse um, 10 to 13. So what time is it? <laughs> Sorry? Shoot. Okay, let's... Uh, 10 to 13. Numbers 25, 10 to 13. Okay, the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. For he was as zealous as I am for my honor. 
among them, so that my zeal, in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him, I'm making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of God and made atonement for the Israelites. What did Phineas do? He took a javelin and drove it through Cosby and through um, the woman who uh, he was, uh, cons- Zimri and Cosby, he drove a um, javelin through them because he felt that they were dishonoring the name of God. The point is not to drive javelins through people. In fact, anytime someone throws a javelin at you, what's your ministry? Duck. Duck. Yeah. <laughs> so ducking ministry. Yeah. And you don't throw javelins back. So the point being, be consumed with these three things. Uh, moving on. Honor. Honor is the seed for grace, guys. Honor is the seed for grace. I love this one. I've practiced it. I've seen tremendous benefits from it. And so have some of you. Honor is the seed for grace. If you want grace poured into your life, honor the source of grace. If you want to learn how to make rouladen or apple pie, honor the grace of cooking in her. And you will then begin to get from her Not just the recipe, but the ability to make it. What happens is, we want the recipe. I promise you, you can give me any recipe you have, and it won't taste the same. Because I know. You're you're spoiling my analogy. I know you asked the Lord to bless you, and it's the Lord that blesses your cooking. I know that, and I know you'll give honor to God. But I'm using you for a different reason. (laughs) Yeah. So you can get the recipe and she leaves. But if you honor her, now you get the way she prays for it. You get the taste too. It's the same principle, guys. Honor grace and it will flow into your life. The Shunammite woman honored Elisha. Ruth and Naomi. Ruth honored Naomi. The Shunammite woman honored Elisha, sons are told to honor their parents. When you honor the grace in somebody's life, it begins to flow into your life. What you honor and celebrate, you will receive. What you honor and celebrate, you will receive. So, if you honor the grace in my life, you will receive it. (laughs) If you... If you don't honor the grace in my life, you will get sermons, but you will never receive the grace in my life. Big difference. Okay, which brings us to the next question. How do we honor? How do we honor? If you want the, if you want to honor Wayne for his skills at building, how will you honor him? You learn under. What else? What else? Well, you thank him. You tell others how good he is. How yeah, what else? You thank him. Yeah! You praise him, you thank him, you learn under him. But you honor, also honor him with? Oh, you pay for his deeds. No, no, no. This is not paying. He, he may want to do it free. But if I want to receive what is in his life, I'll have to honor him with? Mullah. Find it throughout the Bible, man. Started with Abraham and Melchizedek. Continued down. 
Because, yes, he may not need more than a, hey, great job, Wayne, well done. And he'll be happy with that. But that's not honor in its fullness. Honor needs to be expressed through um, other things too. Uh, two more to go. Money is a seed for more money. <laughs> money is a seed for more money. Money is a seed for more money. Hey, by the way, when I say honor grace with money, I'm not saying you're paying for the grace. Eh? You're not paying for the grace. You are saying that, listen, this is the one thing, this is the one thing that I say that I earn with the sweat of my brow. And this is important to me. But I recognize the grace in you and I'm honoring you with this, saying, this is the one thing that I, I earn with the sweat of my brow. I'm honoring you, me with you. Words will come easy. Great job, Wayne. Thanks, Wayne. You're wonderful. You're the best looking carpenter I've ever met and all this stuff. But this is suddenly where money meets my... Where the... Where, what's the word? How do you... What's that phrase? The rubber hits the road or put your money where your mouth is. So thank you, Wayne. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. That's, that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, so whatever, yeah, yeah, not just money. Agree, agree. Honor, honor, great one. I, did, I didn't remember that one. Money is a seed for more money. Money is a seed for more money. If you want to uh, grow money, sow money. Yeah. Money is a seed for more money. What is the principle? You give to when you give you receive. But the but the motive should not be that we get more. Uh, agreed, but when you jump up, you come down. So my intent right now guys, honestly, is to jump up. But like it or not, I'll come back down. Yeah, so the thing is, I, I literally cannot, I have never jumped up in my life thinking I won't come down, till today. Because I'm not able to disconnect one from the other. So the motive is to jump up. So when we were singing, the only idea was to jump up, even though I was running out of breath. But every time I jumped up, I was so sure that I won't go keep going upward. That will come down. So I cannot disconnect one from the other. So just remember that. So money is a seed for more money. And um, actually, actually Jacob, in a kingdom of God, yeah. lending money means being uh, souls, sowing spiritual seeds. Not only that you don't go hungry, you're not promised that, right? Yeah. But the, the, if, we, if we love the Lord, and the longer we grow in Him and live with Him, it's a pleasure to give and to hear on the other end of the world. People get saved and get done, whatever. Yeah. If you plant seed. Absolutely. Life. Yeah. In the kingdom of God. Yeah. I agree. True. True. Want to be at rest? So obedience. Obedience is the seed for rest. Obedience is the seed for rest. Obedience is the seed for rest. 
all I have to do on this trip is to obey what has been shown and obey what God will show and then I can be at rest because obedience is the seed for rest. How do we know that? Hebrews. All your watches are, I think, 10 minutes fast. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Uh, verse 2 and 6. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Verse 6. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Guys, We've talked about rest. We talked about rest for eight weeks uh, last year or the year before. But the point is to remind us again, obedience is a seed for rest. It's impossible for you or me to come into a place of God kind of rest till you obey what you have been told. Otherwise, there's no question of rest. And this is where what uh, Sue had mentioned a little earlier comes into play. Guys, there's two ways of obeying. One way of obeying is listening under. The other way of obeying is listening around. Listening under or listening around. All of us have this problem. We will listen, but we will not listen under. We will listen around. Disobedience, the definition of disobedience in Hebrew actually, which uh, Jason doesn't know, is, uh, <laughs> is, is disobedience is listening around. And the word obedience in Hebrew is listening under. Where you come under the word. And disobedience is going around the word. And boy, do we see that in each other's lives. Where so many times I obey, but I'm obeying around. And obeying around is actually disobedience. Okay, we're kind of done. Submission is a seed for divine order. Submission is the seed for divine order. Submission is the seed for divine order. Um, If I don't submit to you, nothing will submit to me. If I don't submit to you, so therefore, when I go and I'm asking to be sent... Part of it is the sentness of it. The other is submitting to the body so that the body sends me. When I submit, I operate in divine order. When you choose not to submit, you now do not operate under divine order. You operate under any order that you are establishing. When we are in authority unto ourselves, it results in a whole lot of problems. So learn how to submit. Submission is a seed for divine order. I'll give you a quick example, eh? Um, and I'm going to just pick on Mariam and uh, Jeff and give you this qu- quick example. Um, 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 w- one day, um, Mariam came and said to me, Hey, Jacob, we'd like you to uh, come for dinner to our house. And um, uh, um, I- I'm sure that uh, Mariam and Jeff would have loved me to ha- come over to their house and have dinner. But my response to Mariam was... Um, um, uh, uh, have you spoken to Jeff yet about it? And she said, no, I'll speak to him about it. I said, why don't you go and tell him and let Jeff come and uh, ask me. So then 
Maryam went to Jeff and Jeff immediately said, yes, and he came and said, Jacob, uh, could you come to our house for dinner? So why go through that rigmarole process? Because I recognize that Maryam and Jeff, Jeff is first among equals. And that if I am invited to their house and they both come to the church, then I want Jeff to know that I'm coming to his house and go through that process. Now, it might sound such a rigmarole thing, but I know that that's how order works. And both of them were immediately, yes. But the point was there is set order. Whenever we take order into our own hands, guys, it's we have no idea how... I mean, we spent two weeks talking about order, so I'm not going to belabor the point. The point is, learn how to submit to whatever order exists. And in different situations, there'll be different orders, eh? Different situations, different orders. When you go into another church, it's a different order. You can't ask questions. That's the order established there, live by it. I mean, um, I, I don't know if you remember, but when Anne was traveling with me, um, Elmer and Anne called me over to their house. And uh, we were sitting at the dinner table, and then Elmer says, I now place my wife under your covering. When she was coming with me, because he wasn't. He was staying here. And so Anne came with me, and he said, I place my wife under your covering. While she is with you, you will be her covering. And in Bahrain, Three minutes before the service, Anne goes completely deaf. She gets, she cannot hear and her head is feeling uh, funny. And this is just three minutes before we are going to go and speak. And I was so confident, man, I turned around and said, Father, she's under my covering. Elma has placed her under my charge. And in the authority that I have, just by that, and in the authority that I have as a believer, I now say ears open and dizziness go. Within a minute or 20 seconds, the whole thing went and then we started ministering. We have no idea how, or how important the order is. It's so pointless breaking it. Because you prosper under it, you thrive under it. So bless you. Uh, there'll be... I, I promise you there are some changes. Not I promise. I, get, I, I say to you there'll be some, um, some amazing changes coming from the 18th on. So prepare your hearts and... Things will be different. Yeah. Amazing changes coming from the 18th on. Yeah. From the 18th on. From the from November 18th on. And I'll call you. I'll try to call you on Sundays. Keep all your phones on. And if I am near Wi-Fi, I'll FaceTime with James. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, tomorrow I told you so. Um, she'll send an email. And tomorrow 